Welcome back to changecultivators.com where we spend our time kind of swimming around in the areas of disruption and change and how leaders of teams need to adapt and be more agile in the way that they cope and lead teams through change. I am delighted to be here today. I'm Patrick Fitzmaurice, CEO of the consulting firm Caterpillar Farm, and here with my co-host, Rosin Boyd. Hello, Roz. Hi, Patrick. It's great to be here. And hello to our listeners. I am a reputation and change management specialist. And Patrick and I are looking forward to speaking to Alan Hosking this morning. Great to have you on the show. Yes, Alan's going to be a great guest for us. You know, Alan is internationally recognized uh, in this area of the future of work and talent and has a long and illustrious kind of career and, and, and list of accomplishments. And we just want to dive right in, Alan, from your perspective and, you know, the way you view the world of HR and the way you view the world of talent. As you kind of look out over the next couple of, of years in this world of disruption, what do you think are some of the biggest things that our listeners need to have on their radar in terms of things that will disrupt work teams and organizations? Thanks, Patrick. Um, I'm really thrilled to be able to chat to you and Ros this morning. And um, let me just kick off right away by saying that I think that one of the things we need to start to understand about disruption is that the big disruptions are invisible. We don't see them coming until they're upon us. For example, if we were having this discussion this time last year, and one of us had said, guess what? Next year, in six months time, six or seven months time, about 80%, 90% of people around the world are gonna be working from home. We would have all fallen about laughing and thought, ha ha ha, um, what is that person smoking? And guess what has happened? Exactly that. So. One of the things that I make a point of working with leaders on is the ability to see the unseen. And that's all about learning to recognize the difference between dots and the space. We often talk about, you've got to connect the dots and that's important, but very few people understand that it's what happens in the space between the dots that is so, so important. And if we look at what's happening in the space between the dots over the last few years, without us realizing, we are living in a, a world that has a bit of a contradiction, that there's an incredible amount of data around. We're swimming in a sea of data, yet when it comes to the future and change and anticipating what's gonna happen, we've got very little data. And it's about understanding that science is based on data, on evidence. And science has helped us to get where we've got so far. And it's going to play, continue to play a critical part, but it's no longer enough. We have to broaden that to involve the art side of it as well. So it's about the hard skills and the soft skills, the science and the art. And, and the art side comes, it, it, what, what we've got there is it's intuition, it's gut feel, it's instinct, it's judgment calls that people are able to make. And, and those are the important things that are coming in. So for example, what are we looking at now in terms of, of disruptions? What are we not seeing? I think that two disruptors that we, we're not seeing at the moment are people's expectations and their experiences. 
those are going to be big disruptors as far as I'm concerned. Because let's just look at the experiences. We all know what people are going through at the moment, uh, working from home, particularly young moms, uh, where they've got children around them. Um, it's, it's, it's worrying about the, the, the children, their homeschooling. It's worrying about, are my parents going to be okay? I hope they don't catch uh, COVID. Um, what about my job security? What about my partner's job security? So they're worrying about a whole lot of things. And those are going to play a massive role because no longer will managers and leaders in business be able to lay down the law because these people have got so many other things going on inside them. And so I reckon that we've got to become increasingly aware of those invisible disruptors because people are not going to just do as we say in the future. That's assuming um, people stay working in this current um, you know, environment as, as they are. Do you think that's, a, you know, leading on to another question, do you think that work will go back to how it used to be? Or, do, you know, I'm assuming from what you're saying that we're going to see a lot of this change be permanent going into the future, this working from home and, you know, being more emotionally attuned to people's work and, uh, you know, their work-life balance. Ros, I would give a yes and no answer. I think that we are going to see a, a, a move back to the workplace, but probably never the same as it was exactly. So there will be, I, I'm aware of, of one company, a financial institution, one of the divisions, I was speaking to the, uh, the, the head of the division, he said, I said, oh, you're looking forward to going back to the office? He said, no. He said, we're not going to be going back to the office. I said, oh, why not? He said, we as a division have been performing so well while working from home that we've actually decided we're never going to go back. I said, never, it's a long time. He said, well, you know, that's, that's the way it's working. He says, we have exceeded our targets beyond what we would ever have imagined while we were working in the workplace. He said, it's just a case of the interruptions that we had to deal with all the time, that we just don't have those. And so we were able to perform at, at, at levels that we hadn't imagined. So I think that there's going to be a bit of both, uh, where some have seen that it's really worked for them, and others, I think, are going to be moving back in. We'll also probably find a bit of a hybrid um, where we have uh, people who will work from nodes, so to speak. You know, there'll be little hubs that they can go and work from in their area, in their neighborhood, so to speak. So there'll be different things like that. Um, people will also be mobile. Uh, that's nothing new. Um, uh, about 10 years ago, I interviewed um, an architect, French architect, who specialized in designing ergonomic buildings. And just before we started the interview and the, the quick chit chat, I said to him, where are you based? And he looked at me for a long time and he said, the nearest airport. <laughs> I said, oh, why is that? He said, because I'm always on the road, so to speak. And he said, I work, I spend a lot of time sitting at the airports and that's where I work. He said, if you were to force me to admit, I would have to say I've got an office in Paris, but I probably spend two weeks of the, of the year there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I love the fact that you immediately took us to the, 
the human dynamic of change and disruption, right? Like really where you were going was this notion of, you know, we, we spend a lot of time talking about disruptors being technology disruptors and, you know, COVID is a disruptor. And so you could argue that that's a science disruption and there's business operating models disruptions and then there's political disruptions that affect um, people and impact. But you went right to the human thing, which I think is really, really important. And I know our listeners should know, you know, um, your your topic of future of work and being known, I think, in the U.S. as one of the top 25 future of work influencers to follow on Twitter. Hint, hint, hints, listeners, it may be worth doing that um, to really understand this human dynamic. So as you dig into the human dynamic of bringing people through change and making them comfortable with it, is there anything that you have that you've learned, that you've practiced, that you've advised all of the people you've advised on that helps people deal with the human dynamic of helping drive change, making them more comfortable with change, bringing them through a disruption? Patrick, could I just take the bait on something else you said there before I answer that? Yes, of course. <laughs> you, you know, you talked about technology being a, a disruptor and it has been a disruptor up until now, but I think that there's a change coming where technology is becoming an enabler now. And if you think, you think about how it's enabling people to work from home, so suddenly it's gone from being the bad guy to the good guy. So hence, the future is probably going to be a lot more human than we imagine it's going to be. And uh, um, I, to, to get back to your question, just to kind of refresh my memory again. You yeah. So, so, I mean, I'm really curious as you drive, as you advise people and you advise companies through, you know, some kind of disruption and they have to go through some kind of transformation. The word culture comes up a lot, which is a human centric activity. The word kind of individual performance comes up, you know, organizations run on performance plans and bringing people through that. But, you know, the, the crux of doing great in any kind of disruption is bringing the human element through the change and getting them to have new expectations, et cetera. It's a really hard piece of change. And I'm curious to your perspective on how you demystify that for people. I think that leaders have got to start becoming a lot more focused on developing certain qualities. Uh, we, we've previously focused on developing leadership skills. And that's good, that's well and good, but that speaks to the scientific side of things because skills are, after all, things we can do, an ability to be able to do something. And whereas the qualities are things that we would need to to have within ourselves, so to speak. Things like a word that's being bandied around a lot at the moment is empathy, um, reliability, trustworthiness. People are not going to trust us. And then if they don't trust us, they're not going to follow. They're not going to, to go where we want them to go. Another big thing that leaders have to start developing is, and, and it might come as a surprise to you, is influence. Now, when, when I talk about influence, I'm talking about, I'm, I'm talking about a difference between compliance and influence. Compliance is where we do things because we have to do them and we're told to do them and we just comply. But do we get the, the output that we really want or would like to get from those people? When you start influencing people, you get them to do things because they really want to. And the, the way to develop influence is to develop a relationship with people. 
because as far as I'm concerned, I speak very much from experience here. The level of influence that we have in anybody's life is determined by the quality of the relationship. No relationship, very little influence. That's why cold calling is such a difficult game because you don't have any a relationship with the person who says, so sorry, now I'm not interested. But when Dave phones you and he says, hi, uh, Patrick, it's Dave here. You say, oh, hi, Dave, how are you doing? He says, oh, very well, thank you. Now we've got this latest product that's just come out. And I wonder if I could pop around and sh show you. Yeah, sure, you can pop around. Why? You have a relationship with him. Um, speak to the relationships that we have with our partners, with our children. We will do things for them. They have influence in our lives because of that relationship. And that's a so-called soft skill that is very hard. So leaders, if they want to get people to do things the way that they should be doing them, have to start working on those relationships. And when you've got those relationships in place, you'd be amazed that people will bend over backwards for you. They'll do anything for you. And Alan, what is your advice to leaders on how to develop these relationships because we've got a very interesting dichotomy at the moment you've got a generation that's grown up with technology you know the new people coming into the workforce but by default they're also happy to sit on the other end of a screen you know i can phone certain people they'll never answer the phone but they will answer a text message in three seconds a phone again the phone doesn't get answered now, and then you've got more traditional leaders who've been in the industry for a long time who are, I, I would say, a bit more tuned to that, you know, soft side because they're used to that personal contact. So you've got two very different groups, one that loves technology, that uses it all the time, the other group that's used to be face to face. What do you, what is your advice to leaders on how to develop that, that, uh, that skill or that quality? And how do you bring these two worlds together? You know, it, and, and I think the hard part is it's not even like you're in a physical room to go, okay, how do we blend it? We were just all thrown apart and said, here's a screen now, you, you know, you can't see anybody anymore, you know, aside from uh, the digital devices. So we haven't even had time to make this transition. So it's a hard thing for leaders to, to adjust quickly to this new world, wouldn't you say? Very much so, it is indeed. And uh, Ros, you, you're talking about um, different generations having different needs and um, responding to different things. And you're absolutely right about that. But what we need to kind of tap into are some of the eternal qualities of human beings that, mm -hmm. that we have that have been there for thousands of years and that are really not going to change. And one of those things is that every single human being, no matter who we are, has a deep, deep need to feel heard. And so one of the skills that leaders need to start developing is that skill of listening to people and ensuring that those people feel heard. Because you think about Facebook, what is Facebook all about? It's about wanting to be heard and, and seen as well. But it's about, this is me and look at what I'm doing and look at my breakfast at this restaurant and, 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 and. It's, it's about having that voice. And when we give people that voice, again, we gain influence in their lives. So it's about tapping into those eternal things that are never really going to change. They're always there for us as human beings. Uh, the interesting thing about uh, being heard is that when people feel they're not being heard, their level of frustration rises and it rises and it rises, and rises until it actually becomes, if we look around the world, um, we see all the hotspots, 
we it, it's about it explodes and it just becomes destructive afterwards but when people are heard they then feel so much more secure and they feel that they can trust you it's one it's it's one of the um the, the uh, skills that um hostage negotiators use um to get the person the hostage taker to 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 feel that they've, they've been heard and that their point is going to get across and then they're able to take them to another another place so to speak oh, that's fantastic I, I love it and i was i was kind of thinking listening going many of our list many of our listeners are leaders of teams whether it's a team of three whether it's a team of a hundred right um they they have to lead a team and so i was going down the path of a question but then you used hostage negotiation so i'm thinking tre <laughs> treating your team like a team of hostages was where i went and i'm I I, I, I I i'm sure that's not where we wanted to go but i wanted to kind of move i wanted to kind of move back to this 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 distinction you used between um, skills and qualities, right? So, um, you know, talk to our, our listeners and kind of say, look, if you want to be a better activator of change for your teams and help them get through that, think of these skills and then really demonstrate these qualities. And so talk a little bit about how you have a distinction between skills and qualities and maybe which ones are your, you think are the most important for uh, a person to be a better leader of a team in a time of disruption. Okay, um, skills, I think that you, your technical skills in the position that you occupy need to be unquestionable. Otherwise, you're not going to get respect there. So you've got to be competent. You've got to be good at what you do. You've got to know what you're doing. And uh, people have got to see that and recognize that. So those, those are the skills and, and traditional leadership skills that go with that. So I'm, I'm going to just leave that on the side for a moment, but go more to the, the quality side of things. One of the things, and, and, and these things might sound all touchy-feely, but they are not. Authenticity, just being yourself. One of the things that I found with people is that we all have an authenticity-o-mometer built into us. We can just sense when people are not being who they really are. And we never say so to them. We will not say, aha, you're playing a role here. You're putting on a front. But we just treat them with a certain reservation and we just won't take them as seriously as we would if we felt they were being who they are. So one of the things that I encourage leaders to do is go on what I call a journey to the center of yourself, to start discovering who you really are and become comfortable with that person so that when you come into a room, you are who you are and you're not playing a role and you're not switching on one role for this situation and then you're switching off that role and putting on another, playing another role. And I'm not suggesting we, we don't act appropriately in different circumstances. Obviously, that is correct. But people get the fact that you are the real deal. And that is where it all starts. So when you start becoming authentic, you can then become comfortable with your vulnerability. And vulnerability is an incredible quality today. In the old school of military leadership, vulnerability, you just never showed your vulnerability. And, and there's very good reason for that. Because if you show it to your enemy, guess what? That's exactly where they're going to attack you. But today, you've got to work on the basis that you're not surrounded by your enemy, so to speak. So, you could be surrounded by a board, your, your team members, who are, who, who are your executive team, who 
all are experts in their fields who know a lot more than you do in their fields. So you are the least knowledgeable in the room, not the least intelligent, hopefully. And if you're not comfortable with your vulnerability, you're probably going to be making decisions on the back foot. You're going to think, well, if I accept uh, Sue's advice, uh, people are going to think that she's smarter than I am, so I'm not going to be looking like I know what I'm doing. And so therefore, I'm not going to take what she says. I'm going to maybe change it a little. And you're going to make decisions for all the wrong reasons. But when you're comfortable with your vulnerability, you can take what people say. You can evaluate it at face value. You can ask the team what they think. You can say, well, Dave, you know, you're also an expert in that. What do you think? Would you agree with Sue? And Dave says, yep, now I think that's a pretty good idea there. So, right, okay, or we all agreed, that's what we're going to do. It was not your decision, essentially, but you took it based on what people have said. Now, it's that kind of vulnerability that I'm talking about, not as a weakness, but as a strength. And when you start showing the real you, when you start showing that vulnerability in an appropriate way, you gain more and more trust. And with that trust, comes more and more influence. And a, a leader without influence is nobody. Mm. This, this has come up a lot um, in the discussions we've had in our interviews is this element of emotional intelligence and just how as we go through this global pandemic, leaders are needing you know, this emotional intelligence, this vulnerability, because it's a very different time to be leading in. You know, you've touched on, it's not just business targets, it's now we really having to address people's needs, you know, and and I think you make a good point. I've, you know, I agree with you. I've always said strong leaders are leaders that hire people that know more than they know, and they're comfortable with that because, um, you know, as you say, you can't be an expert in everything and, and why pretend to be. Indeed. And you know, Ros, uh, what you need to do is hire people that have got the skills you don't have. Because yeah, you, exactly. you've already got you. So you know, why hire you again? It's, it's, it, that's, it doesn't yeah. make sense. You've got to, you've got to hire yeah. the skills that complement you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you look at a CEO, their skills are running a business, making sure the, the share price is right. You know, they're, they're not the comms expert. They're not the marketing expert. They're definitely not the technology expert. <laughs> so... Yeah, another, another point I was going to make, sorry, Patrick, no. uh, another thing I was going to make about this whole thing of the emotional intelligence, as, as uh, Ros was uh, mentioning there, is that we're seeing now a merging of our professional lives and our personal lives um, because of people working from home. So gone are the days when they all came into the office, so to speak, all speak and span nicely turned out in their work clothes, so to speak. And what happens at home, you know, stays at home kind of thing. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And I don't really want to know what goes on in your home because you're here and that's that relationship I have. Now, with people working from home, you've got a mom who's got a two-year-old who's climbing over her lap in front of the camera. Um, and the, 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 um, the boss, so to speak, has to be able to be comfortable enough to deal with that. And if he gets yeah. embarrassed... He has to say, it's okay, you know, don't worry, it's all right. Because yeah. he's got to accept that she's got this personal life. Um, I was having a conversation with an HR manager of a company uh, a couple of days ago, 
and uh, there was this funny noise in the background. She said, oh, sorry, Alan, my washing machine cycle has just ended. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you talk about this vulnerability. In a way, the world's forcing us to become more vulnerable because, you, you know, as you say, you're working from home. There's certain things you just cannot control. You know, there's certain noises, the lawnmower, the washing machine, all this sort of thing. So it's pushing us into this new era of vulnerability naturally, don't you think? It is indeed, and leaders have got to start yeah. accepting that and, and, and accepting yeah. the whole package of the person that's working for them and becoming comfortable with the fact that we can't control a two-year-old. We can't control a five-year-old no. because we all know that. You can't say to them, now listen, your mother is busy working and I'm going to be speaking to her now. Um, oh, sorry, you know, I didn't realize that it doesn't work <laughs> like that. So we've got to become a lot more comfortable with the mess that, that yeah. part of real life. And we assume this sort of remote working and this increase in distance is going to mean less deep relationships. But to your point earlier, um, getting to know people more at a raw level might actually deepen relationships, you know, without the, the, the personal face-to-face contact because of all the things you're talking about. You get to know somebody better because it's kind of a little bit more raw, you know, having this, this home working so broadly spread now across everyone. I mean, um, flexible working's always been there. Um, you know, you work from home two days a week or three days, but again, that's very polished because you set it up. Now, you know, kids being at home, all that sort of thing, the, the polish does disappear, but it, it's good though, as we're talking, I'm thinking, you know, that really will get people to know each other better at a level they couldn't if they were all polished in the office every day. Indeed, and I think that- Interesting times. In, yeah, it's going to be because it, it, we're going to be f- having to find one another in this because we, we, we're having to reinvent our relationships now because we have different relationships that we've got to develop. So it, it, you're right, the, the very interesting times. And it's about exploring. You know, one of the things that um, I, I, I try and help people to find meaning in the mess is by, by sort of giving them pictures and using metaphors. Now, you may recall um, Jim Collins's book, Good to Great which came out in 2001. And in its time, it was hailed as the management Bible, so to speak. And every executive worth his salt and her salt was running around quoting Jim Collins. And uh, he spoke about, you know, he was addressing the CEO and he said, you are the driver of the bus. And he says, your ba- the bus, your company is stationary, it's standing still, and it's your job to get it going. It's your job to decide the direction it's going to be going and to get the right people uh, on board and uh, take the, the bus to, to, the right, uh, to the right direction, uh, to destination, sorry. And um, he, now that, that is where that the phrase, you know, you've got to get the right people on the bus. And everybody was running around saying, you've got to get the right people on the bus. Now, that was wonderful to, in 2001. But here, almost 20 years ago, that metaphor is it's not as good as it used to be. And I'll tell you why. Because it assumes that the bus driver, the CEO, has got a road to ride on. And there are directions on the road. And the problem today is there is no more road. The road has come to an end. The highway has ended. And so it's as it were, the bus driver has now come to a halt 
and all the people sitting in their air-conditioned bus, they kind of stretch up and look to the front and say, um, why have we stopped? And the bus driver turns around and says, well, there's no more road left. And they, That's when he says, yes, your parachute. Well, no. We're jumping off the cliff. Well, they, well, they get out of the bus and they've got to walk through the jungle, no compass, no map, no GPS. They don't know where they're going. And so bus driver skills today are, are, are useless because you haven't yeah. got a bus to drive. You've got to have pathfinding skills now. You've got to find your way through the jungle and you're going to take a route and you're going to get to a point where you say, oh, no, there's a 200-foot cliff here. Um, we're going to have to backtrack now. Not because of inefficiency, not because of incompetence, but just because no one knows. We're all novices now. And that's what we've got to become comfortable with. I, I love that, right? This notion of moving from being a bus driver to a pathfinder is a really tangible way to kind of think through that. Um, and I'm also really passionate about your, your Jim Collins good to great comment because people still think about that that way. And in my mind, good to great was about how to run an operationalized static company, right? It is, a, it is an institutionalized static company and it's a great frame of reference to run a company like that. I would argue today there are no companies like that, right? Every company has to process disruption. And so if you're thinking you're running an operationalized group and you're just gonna go through and try to optimize the way that that works, you will be left behind because there is nothing that is that consistent anymore in any type of work team environment. So I, I love that metaphor. I will steal that, but I will attribute it to you all the time, Alan. Uh, <laughs> Um, I wanted to shift back to um, influencers, right? Because it's another nugget that I think you've given us that our listeners should take away. This notion of a leader having to be an influencer. And it's kind of a random comment. Um, years ago, uh, as I came up in my career, one of the first books that anybody ever told me to do was the classic Dale Carnegie, right? How to Win Friends and Influence People, mm -hmm. which still is a very relevant in terms of its topics today and how he talks about, even though it was written back in the either somewhere around 1930 or so. I, I, I'm interested in your opinion on that, on that piece, because there were so many very interesting relationship driving pieces to that about how to build relationships and influence that it became kind of the classic book in that sense. Well, you know, you, you're spot on there, Patrick, because what Dale Carnegie did was speak to those eternal qualities that we all have as human beings. You know, he talked about the sound of a person's voice is the sweetest sound to their ear. And that's still the same. No matter whether you're a kid who's stuck to a, a cell phone all the time or you're an old granny, the sound of your voice is very sweet to your ear. Um, and another thing he said as well was uh, that, you know, when you get people talking about themselves, they will think you're a wonderful conversationalist. Again, that speaks to that feeling of people being heard. And so I, I reckon that the, the Dale, Dale Carnegie stuff is still just as relevant today as it was when he wrote it. Yeah. And and it's fascinating. And you, you were also making me flash back as I was taking notes here and thinking through, um, I did work several years back with a major consumer packaged goods company. And they were thinking about the future of branding, about how to connect their brand with their consumers. And rather than doing it as an academic study, they actually went out and they got a team of sociologists and psychologists and anthropologists. And they went back to study the consistencies of what built human relationships and brought it into an analogy for the, uh, for, for the brand relationships. And there were everything you said, it's um, shared history, 
is, is a driver of relationships. Um, anchoring on some common set of values is a common is a common driver. And they literally articulated 10 or 12 of these things that are essentially the things that ground human interactions and then say, okay, that's how we have to build our company brand interaction. So your, your, your commentary on that is flashing me back to, you know, perhaps what we have to think about as our work teams is much more or less from a business management standpoint, certainly from a, uh, away from a command and control militaristic based type of type of management to this more humanistic relationship type management. And I, again, I, I just love that you bring it from this perspective of future work of placing the human elements so central and how you think about leading a team. Yeah, you know, Patrick, you, I'm not thinking as you're talking there. And one, one of the things uh, that uh, I also use an analogy is the, um, the, the orchestra, because companies have been run as orchestras run. And if you picture an orchestra on a stage, you've got a conductor who is in the center of a half circle where all the, um, uh, the musicians are surrounding him or her. And that is because all eyes must be on the conductor. They must be able to see the conductor. Uh, the musicians typically are dressed in uh, black suits and bow ties, etc. So there's a uniform. They all have their music in front of them and uh, they play as and when required and expected to play. So that's the strategy. The strategy has been set, the music is there, and that's what they're going to follow. And the conductor, all that conductor does, uh, I don't I want to minimize the thing, but they, they coordinate and they ensure that everybody's playing their part as they should. And again, that was great for a world that was fairly static, but today, we have to migrate from the orchestra to the jazz band. And, and the reason for that is that orchestral classical musicians are excellent, but they battle with one thing, and that is improvisation. And improvisation is making something up as you're going along. Uh, you take a jazz band, you look, none of them are looking in the same direction. The leader, there is a leader, but the leader is not very visible to the untrained eye. No one, the audience probably won't even know who the leader is, but every member of that jazz band knows who's calling the shots there. There's this intuitive working together they sense when one is going to take a, take a music break, so to speak, the others will hang back. There's this intuitive repartee that's going among them. And uh, if you were to race up to a musician, jazz musician, as they're about to take their music break, and you say, what are you going to play? They say, well, I don't know until I play it. I'm going to make it up as I go along. And that's what is required now. That's what innovation is. It's about making up new things that we've not done before. Now, many people make the mistake of thinking that jazz musicians are undisciplined. And that is not so, because jazz musicians follow the rules of music as they should. They will stay in the same key, they will play according to the same tempo, the same rhythm, they know their scales, their major scales, their minor scales, their chromatic scale, all those, the blue scale, they will work on those, but they will explore within those parameters. So everybody works together. And that's why it works so well, because they're actually very disciplined. Yeah. Alan, as you're talking, I can't help but thinking, are we going to see 
um, a lot of change in in or turnover in leadership going into the future. You know, you talk about the bus driver and the and the pathfinder. Uh, if you look at people running companies, CEOs, or even the leadership teams, do you think, and in, in putting your hat on, 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 you know, being the futurist, do you think we're going to see a lot of CEO changeovers because a lot of companies have leaders in positions that don't have the right skills for the future, given this massive uh, change the whole world is going through? Yeah, they they won't, probably won't have a choice. Um, if, if leaders are not prepared to change, they're going to become redundant, they're going to make themselves redundant. And one of the, the biggest weaknesses or vulnerabilities, rather, let's say, well, vulnerabilities of, of leaders and companies is success. Because when they become successful, they think, what can go wrong? Things are working so well look at how well we've done and look at how well things are going we're on a roll so therefore what we've done with it was the right things to make us successful and that's when they're at their most vulnerable so it's it's when you become successful you've got to say what's beyond this you know what beyond our success and and yeah, just because just because you've done it one way for so long, it's not going to take you into the future. Indeed. And I think I think boards are probably going to be getting a lot more ruthless now because we've had a period of economic dipping, you know, because of closures and 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 the whole world suffering economically. Um, and when, when we get back to you know more full scale operation, I'm sure boards are going to be going. We need to get those numbers back quickly, and so they. Um, the review of, of leadership is going to be harsher uh, because you don't have the time to catch up. It, it's, it's going to be such a quick turnaround time. Uh, you know, the alternative is the business closes because it's not making money. So having the right leaders is, is going to be critical to getting things back on track into the future, wouldn't you say? Very much so. And I really, you know, I want to encourage leaders to, to kind of reevaluate them, them, their, their skills. And if, if you're still a bus driver, then you've got to say to yourself, look, I've got to get out of this bus and I've got to sort of learning how to become a pathfinder. And, and what, it, what advice would you give to our listeners? How can they best do that? How can they get themselves out of their comfort zone and get their head in this new space? You know, one of the, one of the, the, the um, uh, statements that I use is a, a statement by a guy by the name of John Wooden, who was a basketball player, University of uh, California, UCLA. Um, and then he became, when he retired from playing, he became their coach. And uh, he passed away, I think, about 2010 or so. And he made a profound statement. He said, it's what you learn after you know it all, that counts. Mm, and fantastic. leaders who have become experts in their fields start thinking, well, there's nothing more for me to learn. And I want to encourage them to go beyond that. So become a know-all in a good sense. Know your field, but then recognize that there is so much more you could still learn because that's what's going to account for you. And you, you, you might not be learning from traditional sources. You can teach, you can learn from a 22 year old kid. 
um, that's one of, the, one of the reasons why I advocate what I call co-mentoring. Uh, some people talk about reverse mentoring, but I don't like the word reverse because that's going backwards. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I talk about co-mentoring and co-mentoring is where uh, a, an older person mentors a younger person and the younger person mentors the older person. So, you know, the old model of mentoring is I who am old and wise and know everything will tell you who are young and stupid and know nothing, I will tell you everything that I know. And that's a one-way ticket. But the, the new model of mentoring is I've been around the block. I'm going to share what I've learned with you, but I want you to share with me things that you've learned in your short time. Yeah. And as, as you, one of the things that happens there too is that older people become a lot more comfortable with young people because they, 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 they get inside the mind of a, of a young person and they get comfortable with this. And so they don't make themselves um, irrelevant. They, they retain their relevance. And it's not a case of now trying to, you know, pull your pants down around your, your backside and act like a 20-year-old. That's not the point. It's just about understanding them and knowing what young people are thinking about and how they think. And as you do that, you will maintain your relevance. Yeah, you're making me think of, have you seen that movie, The Intern? Have you? Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, where the, where the retiree becomes the uh, uh, yes. support to the boss who's, who's 22. <laughs> and we, it's just such a fantastic movie. And I think it just illustrates, um, you know, where you're going with that. And that comes back to this notion of being vulnerable. It's, it's going, I'm going to have to be uncomfortable, but it doesn't make me incompetent. It's not exposing not me. It's, it's really, I think, and that's what people have got to get their heads around is this vulnerability is actually showing maturity. It's not showing incompetence because the future is unknown and, and, and we've all got to be looking in different directions now. We've been forced to. And it's also challenging, challenging the old model of, we learn lots of things when we're young and when we get older, we don't have to learn. That's, that's no longer the case. In fact, you must never stop learning. Yes, we've heard that from several of the, 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 these conversations we've been, we've been lucky enough to have, this notion of ha a leader having to be a lifetime learner. And not just about, I love how you think about it, not just about the skills um, or even the qualities, um, but contextual knowledge, right? Being able to look outside of your field of business and adapt things and bring them into a, to your current environment. So your John Wooden example is a great one, right? Um, you know, if we look for leadership practices, you look at a, a leader of like John Wooden, who was, I believe, the winningest most coach in college basketball for a long period of time, um, wildly successful. And the way he was able to draw things out of different teams, and there's an interesting story on John Wooden. Um, I believe it was from a, a Tony Robbins podcast interview that Tony Robbins w w interviewed um, John Wooden, and he asked him what his favorite team was. Like, what was the what was your favorite team that you ever had? And he had some great teams, right? Top talent, right? A performers in every respect. And he actually named an obscure year when he had a number of players. And Tony Robbins asked him, he said, well, why that team? Like, you didn't win the championship, and it wasn't these name marquee names. He said, that team gave it their all and worked as a cohesive group better than any other team, right? So they reached their full potential, right? They did, wasn't that they were the best and they didn't win by other scores, but he, he was such a reader of that, that he could say, no, 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 that was my best team ever because they 
realize their self-actualization as a team. And it was a really interesting dynamic that kind of came out of that. It's back to what you said, the human element, drawing the best out of people. So I, I, I want to ask you that, um, you know, if we're looking for tips and tricks for our listeners, um, you had a chance to advise some great people. You've kind of been a sounding board for a lot of business and frankly, political leaders uh, in South Africa. You've had a chance to do tremendous things. Um, you know, getting the most out of a team, right? And really drive, helping them. Is there something that you would say crystallize, you know, think about being a leader this way. Is there one leadership trait or attribute that you think could be an unlock for our listeners to lead a team in the times of change and get the most out of their team? Patrick, I would say that there are many things that, that uh, I think could make a difference. But one of the things is instilling in, in people a sense of purpose that is greater than themselves because every one of us has a deep need to feel that our life made some or other difference. And I often ask people, what is your purpose? What is your reason for being born? And then they will look at me very blankly and I'll say, I'm going to tell you what your purpose is. And then they'll look at me with uh, <laughs> disgust um, and I'll say to them, your purpose is to change the world. Think about those of you who are parents, think back to what your children did when they arrived in your world. They changed it and it's never been the same since. And that's what we did to our parents' world. We changed it. That's what human beings do. We change the world. Now, the world for each one of us, we all get to define what our world is that we need to change. So a, a young girl who's grown up in an abusive back home and, and, and feels she just wants to get herself on her feet and change herself, that's her world that she wants to change, good for her. Uh, it, if it might be that someone says, well, I want to get a job that I can work to change the world for my little family, that's the world they want to change, good for them. So it might also be that the, the world that I want to change is my community, or it might be the whole world, like the Bill Gateses and, and the Steve Jobses and so on and so forth. So it's about helping people to tap into what their purpose is and then kind of getting that collective purpose going. And the word that one should use, you know, we talk in, in, the, in the old terminology of mission and vision. And mission is a very, very military term <clears throat> that speaks to well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing something not because I want to do it, but because I have to, because I'm told that I've got to, I'm under orders, command and control, and I've got to do it. But when we start talking about a cause, when we, when we have a cause as, as, as a team or as a company that we're all working to change the world, to make it a better place in whatever way that we want to do that, that's when we get people to go beyond themselves. And it's all about tapping into that thing of wanting to live a complete life. That's really what we want to do as human beings. We don't know how long our, or how short our lives are going to be, but we actually want to have a sense that when we lie on our deathbed, if we have the luxury of lying on our deathbed, we say, I did what I needed to do when I was here. And it's about going, speaking to those deep things, being able to rally people and get them to know that they are part of some cause that is making a difference, that their life counts, that's when we will get cooperation, we will get 
them to do things that they will they will they will come up with new ideas they will be innovative because they want to make that difference so that their life has made that difference mm, fantastic fantastic alan well i think this has been a fantastic conversation i i'm taking this theme of you you spoke about the uh, disruptors being invisible and i think that's really key, you know, having these new skills of being vulnerable, this constant willingness to learn, you know, changing your leadership style. Everyone's got to change their leadership style going into the future because who knows what the future is, right? And and it's it's a frightening but very exciting time in history uh, for, for, for all of us. So thank you for your nuggets, Patrick. So thank you, thank you, thank you again, Alan, for sharing your wisdom and your insights. If our listeners want to find out more about what you do and some of your experience and kind of learn more about how you advise executives, where should we have them go? Patrick, thanks. They can visit our website, which is www.hrfuture.net, or they can email me at alan, A-L-A-N, at hrfuture.net. Excellent. Well, I hope you get lots of emails and lots of hits on that website. Your your background and experience is fabulous. It's rich, it's diverse, and your perspectives on this topic have been fabulous. And we've covered bus driving to pathfinding to classical music to jazz music to we have covered a lot of rich, different analogies to bring this to life with a lot of meaty topics for our group to take through. And uh, I just, we appreciate you sharing all of that you've done. Uh, we encourage our listeners to keep coming back to Change Culture as we explore. And once again, Alan, we thank you for sharing your thoughts with us today. Only a pleasure. Thank you, Ross. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Alan. Great to have you on the show.